slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now the problem with the Christians of uh, James' day is they loved a good sermon. They really enjoyed Bible study. Uh, they knew their uh, Bible pretty well. They were regular in church and uh, small group. But they also liked to fit in with the world around them. They uh, lived with the world's priorities and the world's ambitions. So if you looked at their lives, if you sort of did a cross-section through their week, apart from those, those Christian meetings they went to, you know, church and the ones we're trying to sell you uh, just up here now, apart from that it was jolly hard to tell the difference between them and their unbelieving neighbor. They had the same lifestyles, the same concerns, the same fears, the same passions. They talked about the same things in the college canteen, at the school gate with other mums. They were texting the same sort of videos to one another. It was all rather similar. And to make things worse, you see, following Jesus didn't seem to make life any easier. And not only did you have the sadness and sickness and suffering that was common to the whole of the world, but you actually got a hard time for being a Christian as well. And so what we saw last week as James starts what is a, a general letter, it's not written to a particular church in a particular place, it would have been passed around a whole load of different churches. As he starts this general letter last week, he, he began by saying, look, when you're suffering for Jesus, you've got to go and get God's wisdom, his perspective on your life. And at the end of that section, he said this in verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. He said the reason that you have become a Christian is that God your Father has chosen to do a miracle in you, to give you a fresh start as his word of truth. That, that message of Jesus contained within what was there, Old Testaments, within the whole of our Bible, has brought new life in you. So now you're like a first fruit. You're, you're like that, that first blossom on a tree that, that says something better is coming. You're a little picture of the something better that is God's new kingdom, his, his relationship with his people being worked out. And he goes on to say how, how you can live out that relationship. And here's the take-home message. I always try and do this at the beginning of the sermon in case you nod off in two minutes' time. Here's the take-home message. Okay, it's verse 22. Let me read you. This is what you need to remember. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
It, it literally says this. It's a little bit more punchy, the literal translation. Now, be doers of the word, not merely hearers making excuses. Beloved, that's what that word dear means. Beloved brothers and sisters, be doers of the word, not merely hearers making excuses. Because I suspect that actually the, the biggest problem in my life, and dare I say it, this, this might be a massive generalization, but probably the biggest problem in the church in the West is this. There's a massive gap between what we hear on a Sunday, what we rejoice in, what we sing about, what we think is so good for us, and then the way we live during the rest of the week. And maybe that's a danger for a church like us more than most, because we love the Bible. We wonderfully want to study the Bible more and more. But the danger is that we turn godliness into knowing the Bible, not living it out. And we turn living for Jesus into having a daily quiet time and not actually into radically loving the world around us. We turn it into what you know and not what you do. So let me ask you, do you want to be someone who lives out what you believe more effectively? Do you want to be less of a hypocrite? Well, then let's have a look at how James urges first century Christians to be like that. Now, he says three things. Here's the first thing. He says, listen, <laughs> listen. Look at verse 19 with me. My dear brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, it's a simple fact. You can't listen while you're speaking. Well, that's what my wife tells me anyway. Apparently, it's really quite hard to do, to listen while you're speaking. Try it with someone when you get home. Try the simultaneous conversation. It saves loads of time. Yeah, but it's not very effective, apparently. And I struggle to listen most when I want to get my own way, um, especially when I'm a bit irritated that I'm not getting it. In other words, I struggle to listen most when I'm angry. Because when I am angry, all I can think about is what I want to say next to show that I am right and they are wrong. In fact, how irritatingly, stupidly wrong they are, which is why I need to say what I have to say. And I'm not listening to them at all. So no wonder James says in verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness, the right living that God desires. But these, these verses aren't some tips on getting better relationships, one of those dreadful listening exercises you do on the, the sort of work training day. No, James has something far more serious in mind, how we listen to God. And the problem is we're not all that good at listening to God. We, we're pre-programmed with a whole load of demands we've got for him, a whole load of attitudes about what we believe is best for us. See, human beings are not neutral. We're wired to reject what God has to say to us. Right from birth, we're, we're self-centered by nature, the Bible tells us. We want to have our own way. We want to be God. And so James says in verse 21, if we're going to listen, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And when you hear something like moral filth, you instantly think of something like porn or those dirty little secrets that, that we all have. And we desperately do need help with that. If you're struggling with something that, like that, statistics say that 
Uh, in a church, about 40% to 50% of the men in this room will be regularly using pornography. We desperately need help with that. But actually, the word here, filthy, is, is more like shabby clothes. James is saying, take off your shabby old worldly ideas. And they're prevalent. That means abundant. Take off the loads of ways we very politely do the greatest evil of all, which is deny God's right to speak truth into our lives and to be in charge. Because it's only when we recognize our desires and our ideas and, and our passions as being largely wrong that we'll take them off and humbly accept what God has to say to us. You see, that word has been implanted in you, says James. Back in the Old Testament, um, God promised in the book of Jeremiah that when he brought in his new covenant, his new relationship with God, the one we know has been brought in by Jesus, he said this, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. You see, for that word that God has put into us so that we want to know him and obey him if we're Christians, we have to actually clear out all the things that crowd it out. James might have Jesus' parable of the sower in mind as as he says that. I wonder if you remember uh, the way that Jesus talks is that seed of the word is sown in, in different soils. He says about one of the soils this. It's in Mark 4. He says, still others, talking about people, Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, that's the sort of moral filth and evil that James is talking about. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. Now, If you're not yet a Christian here this evening, you've got to understand that the start for following Jesus Christ is actually this position of humility where we realize that by nature we are shabby. We are filthy. We're evil. We're self-centered. And it's only as we realize that 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 word God puts in us can save us. Because it's a word that tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. The one he has given to cleanse us from all our filth and shabbiness once and for all. That is why God's word is so precious for the Christian. But as Matt says, it's that word about Jesus that brought us to faith that is the way that we continue to live out the Christian life. So the only way to keep going with Jesus is to feed the word implanted in you from the, the, by the word that God has caused to be written down in the Bible. And that means daily weeding out all, all those lies that, that we believe from the world around us. And this isn't hard to apply, is it? I mean, firstly, how are you going to do this if you're not listening to God's word? If you're not regularly hearing the Bible talk, we laughed at Dave, but he's actually right. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that we need encouragement as long as it's called today. Is it today, today? No, oh, yeah, it's today. What will it be tomorrow? Oh, it'll be today again. So just why not, why not think about, I mean, how much time have you watched on the, you know, Netflix on the telly this week or surfed the web or been on social media or watched, as Mike confessed to last week, YouTube videos of cats or whatever it is, add all that up and combine it and then compare it to the time you spend listening to God in his word. Now, I'm going to be about half an hour if you're lucky. Okay. 
Maybe you're here this morning, that's another half hour. You see, if we're listening to the world so much and letting its desires crowd out the word, then of course it's going to be hard to listen to God. And it's not just listening to God rather than the world. You see, James has said we need to listen to God rather than ourselves. Because we just tell ourselves all the time what we need and and what will make us happier. You and I can generate more than enough self-centered evil on our own without ever watching the telly or going on the internet. We need to listen. We need to help each other listen. We need to be those who are daily humbly seeking to accept the word of God that he's planted in us. But, but that's not the heart of James's message. Can I tell you this evening, you could do an in-depth Bible study every day of your life. You could read the Bible in a year, every year, and it'd do you absolutely no good whatsoever. That's the shock of James. Because he says, second, you just don't need to listen, you need to do. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Would well, you remember the literal translation? Be doers of the word, not merely hearers, making excuses. You see the danger? As soon as we've, we've heard what God has to say, we start speaking to ourselves again. And what we start telling ourselves is, is excuses. I, I, into our head comes all the reasons because that's what we call them. We never call them excuses. They're reasons, aren't they? To us, the reasons we can't possibly do what God's word has just said. I, mean, I once heard a, a preacher say that he thought the hardest passages in the Bible weren't the ones he struggled to understand. <laughs> no, no, they're the ones he understood but really didn't want to do. Look how James describes someone who hears God's word and then doesn't change anything as a result. Look at verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. They see what they're really like. You know, they, they gaze in the mirror and, and they can see they've got this big, big lump of scrambled something, maybe egg, in their beard, which is a special problem if you're a woman. And, um, and then they walk away and they totally forget what they've seen. And they don't do anything about it. They don't change a thing. Well, they've got this like huge zit on their nose and they're off to college, you know. And apparently blokes get cover up as well these days. And they forget it's there and they walk into college and the first person goes, look at the size of that thing. It's ridiculous. Why, why would you bother looking in the mirror if you're not going to respond at all to what you see there? If you forget about it just a few seconds later. But it's, it's so easily done, isn't it? So on Christmas morning, you know, I was up here reading a few passages about peace and goodwill to all people. It's what you do on Christmas morning. I walked through the airlock, the spiritual airlock, which is what we call the entrance to the King Center. That's where spiritual life is sucked out of us, and we walk out into the world, back as pagans, where I must get what I want. And this is Christmas Day, you know, spirit of festive spirit for everyone. And I was totally grumpy and toxic to my family for the next half an hour as we drove, ironically, to sing festive spirits, uh, carols to, to some other people. So easy to do, isn't it? We hear the word, we sing the word, we rejoice in the word, out we go. It's as though we were never in church by the time we get home. That's what James is saying we're like. And you see, not acting on what God says isn't just stupid. It actually makes our lives far, far worse. It means we enslave ourselves to these, these selfish, these sinful desires. 
We enslave ourselves to a life that the Bible actually says is a curse. Look at the contrast James gives us in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Uh, James uses that word law because he wants us to be clear. God's word does call us to live it out, to obey what God says, to make real practical and changes in our lives as the result. But of course, from the third chapter of the Bible, the devil, well, he has been hell-bent on convincing us that living according to God's word isn't freedom, it's slavery. When there's only one command in the world, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the devil goes into overdrive with Adam and Eve to convince them that actually eating from the tree will make their lives far better. They'll be like, God, you'll be free, don't worry. It'll be fun, there are no consequences. And of course, since then, has life been better? Is the world a happy, free place? We don't live with fear, do we? Death is not a reality for all of us in the end. It's just a lie. Freedom is found in doing God's word. Otherwise, I guess James is saying you're like someone who, who goes into uh, the chemist, see, having seen the doctor, and, and gets the prescription for the life-changing, the life-saving drug that they need. They read the, the, the way that it needs to be taken three times a day after food, and they think, absolutely, this is the thing for me. If I don't take this, I'm in serious trouble, totally shafted. They put it on the shelf, walk away, and never do anything with it. That's, that's the logic, if this is the life-saving, life-changing Word of God. Not that obeying God is easy. The, the phrase continues in it in verse 25. More has the sense of persevering in it. it. Obeying God's word is like trying to keep running in a marathon after you've hit what they call the wall. It's not like standing on the travelator at the airport doing nothing and just cruising along. It's hard work. But of course we do it with God's strength. He enables us in our struggle. And there is blessing in that obedience. Funnily enough, living God's way in God's world makes life easier. I mean, here's a little example. If you don't tell any lies, you don't have to remember who you've lied to and what the lie was you told them. Yeah, it's a silly example. Now, that's really important for us to hear because, because I, it's, it's not knowing the Bible that brings lots of blessings. It's living out what we, we hear that, that brings the blessing of obedience and the, the joy in our relationship with, with the Lord Jesus. And that's important for us to know because James is going to say a lot in this letter about being double-minded. And that's listening to the gracious word of God, but then living by the lies of the world around you. And that is probably one of the most painful things you can spiritually do. Actually, the true Freedom and blessing comes by listening and living in God's strength uh, in the same way. Now, we can help each other in this, can't we? We can, we can talk to one another about what God has been saying to us, about, about how it's made a difference this week. We can pray for one another. That's why small groups like Life Groups and the Hub are great. We can pray for one another in the real struggles to be obedient. Uh, we could have a chat over coffee. At the end, I've got to put some three questions up at the end of the service that we could talk about over coffee, about what God has been saying to us and how we could 
act that out in our lives by his strength. Or we could ask our friends on, on WhatsApp about that decision they took to live differently this week for Jesus. Uh, we could see if we could pray in the, the, the life-changing word of God into our hearts. But both in those big life decisions, but in those little day-to-day -day decisions that we take that make all the difference. Now, it's not very British to live like this. We, we really don't like talking about our, our failures or our weakness. We certainly don't like anyone saying to us, so um, have you lived that out this week? We hate awkward questions, don't we? I mean, that's socially right out. It's why we love talking about the weather. It affects us all, and it's nobody's fault. Whereas as soon as someone starts talking about you personally, how's that gone? You, you, Mike challenged us last week. He, have you asked Mike how his quiet times are going? Just for the sermon, I ensured I did before this service. Yeah? But, but that sort of level of encouragement. Are we living out God's word? Because it, wouldn't it be a great if we were a church who helped one another not just to be hearers of the word, but doers? Not just excuse makers, but word obeyers. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And James has some specific areas that he, he wants to help his readers in obedience to consider. And it's my third heading, I've called it love. Now you might say, love's not in here, Daph. The word love's not there, and that's fair. But I think love is the attitude that's very much expressed in verses 26 to 27. Because love is an attitude that puts other people before yourself. It's not a, an emotional response you have. It's an action to do good to others. And that is what these three things are about. They're three marks of true religion. We tend to think of the word religion as being bad. We tend to think of it about rules and ritual. And we often say that that is nothing to do with making you right with God. And that's absolutely true. But James is using religion here to describe the outworking of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what you do and the lot of what you believe. And look at what he says true religion is in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Again, the original literally is a bit more brutal. If anyone thinks themselves religious, not bridling his tongue, but deceiving his heart, their religion is worthless. It's a great picture, isn't it? The tongue is, is pictured like a wayward horse that needs that, that bridle on it to control it. Otherwise, it's just going to bolt off and wreak destruction and havoc in someone's life. And if, then if you've ever ridden a horse, I've, I've sat in a couple, I've been terrified. There's this huge lump of muscle that, that apparently I can negotiate in the direction I want. But I'm pretty sure if it wants to go where it wants to go, I'm going to lose that battle. And James said, that's what the tongue is like. But, but more seriously... If I don't control a horse, the worst thing is I might break my leg. But if I don't control my tongue, I'm going to wreck my relationships. Uh, an uncontrolled tongue will mock and lie. It'll, it'll put people down and gossip. We probably, James would probably also say to us, an uncontrolled tongue or an uncontrolled thumb. Because we do the same with social media. James didn't have that as a problem. But you could put your tongue in your thumb. Or if you text with your finger, your finger... Yeah, if you WhatsApp or you post on Instagram, whichever digit you use, you need to control it. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths or through your social media feeds, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, 
that it may benefit those who listen. So what is unwholesome talk? It's easy. It's not building them up. If they're not being built up, it's unwholesome. Or James 5.4, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place rather than thanksgiving. Now remember, what, what do we do when we hear God's word, when we're challenged by it? Remember verse 22, we make excuses. Maybe you've started already. It's only a bit of fun. Well, it's mutual. It's a bit of banter. We're having a laugh. But he doesn't say that, does it? Oh, we don't want Christians to be thought of as boring. <laughs> Got to join in a little bit of that risque stuff so that they know we're real men. No. Bridle your tongue, says James. <laughs> don't let any of it out. And James is going to have a lot more to say about the tongue in chapter 3. Here's the second area of true religion, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, isn't that incredible? Our loving Heavenly Father, who knows all our mixed motives, who knows all our half-hearted efforts, actually looks down on some things we do and regards them as pure and faultless. And what is it that he sees as pure and faultless? When we look after the needy people around us. That, that's what marked out orphans and widows in James's day. There's no social security. Uh, there are precious few jobs for women. Men largely own the land. So if you became a widow or an orphan, you had no support whatsoever. But we make excuses, don't we? Oh, the welfare state. It doesn't get us off the hook. Fight off their excuses. God's word says again and again, a mark of God's people is that they have his heart of compassion for those who are needy. That could be those who are materially needy, giving money to people who, who are in our church family or in Chessington or further afield in relief work. It could be those who are socially needy, helping people out with the, the, modern, the rigors of, of modern life, maybe being there to help them as they struggle, take their kids to school, or, or to help someone with their shopping. I think a lot in our society is about being relationally needy, spending time with people who are lonely, who are rejected by others, who, whose families aren't around. Now, I think if you want a great example of this, you don't have to go any further than the charity Sharing Lives that we are involved with in this church. And I've asked Paul Reisinger, who uh, works for the charity, to be on the FYI area afterwards. Uh, that charity seeks to come alongside and befriend some of the more vulnerable people within our area, to, to show them this sort of love. But don't let sharing lives be an excuse for you. Uh, say, not getting to know that older woman uh, in your street who you see going to the shop uh, each day with a little pushy trolley, and you've never seen anyone with her, no one talks to her. Don't, don't let sharing lives be an excuse not to get to know uh, someone who maybe is struggling uh, with uh, pressure of their children and they just can't quite sort out how to look after them. Uh, maybe you've been a parent before and you've made all the mistakes and you can tell them how maybe you'd love to do things a little bit differently. Don't, don't make excuses for, for the, the person at college or school who basically is ostracized and mocked by others and you think, well, I, I could go and talk to them, but, but actually, I don't have to. Or maybe someone else will. Or the single person who's, who's moved recently into the local area and doesn't know anyone. 
Don't make excuses about not having them into your home because, well, it's the night you watch that show or the night that your grandchildren come around or, or the night that something else goes on in your life regularly that you can't change. Don't make excuses for not drawing alongside that widow who for the first time in her life is going through the darkness of winter on her own and desperately needs company to read a book to your kids, to come around for tea one day because the person she loves most in this world has been stripped away from her. And it doesn't get that much easier after one or two or three or 20 years. Don't make excuses for the fact that you think that every child should have their own bedroom. That means you can't possibly consider adopting or fostering. There are twice as many children already approved for adoption in this country as people who are willing to adopt them. 4,000 children already approved for adoption. And the church has always historically been at the heart of adoption and fostering. James is going to say a lot more about our attitude to those who struggle in poverty and our attitude to wealth in chapter 2. And here's the last area that the word has to make a difference. Verse 27 again, he says, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In the original, there's no no. <laughs> that and doesn't exist in the original. So in one way, this isn't an extra category. It's just the other side of the coin. The person who is caring for the needy people around them will be the person who doesn't share the priorities of the world, the priorities of personal wealth and personal comfort, making sure that my family have all that they need. Now, the person without those worldly priorities will be the person who shares with the needy. You see, if we, if we want to have a religion that our Father in heaven accepts, then it's not a case of loving the orphan and widow and loving the world. That's impossible. It's a case of loving the orphan and the widow and not the world. And James is going to say a lot more about the danger of loving the world in chapter 4. Those are the three issues that he's going to raise in the rest of the letter, our tongues, our attitudes to people regarding their wealth, and our attitudes to the world. So what are you going to do with tonight's sermon? You've listened well. What are you going to do with it? Make excuses. Try and, try and fit what God says into your pre-existing life because that's more convenient. Or listen to the word. Do God's word by loving people, not the world. My beloved brothers and sisters, be doers of God's word to you not merely hearers making excuses for yourselves. We're going to have a little bit of time of quiet now for you to do business with the Lord. Maybe if you're not a Christian, you want to ask him to help you understand why Jesus is such good news for humble people. Or maybe if you are, you want to ask him to give you strength for the areas you know in your life that you'd like to change. And uh, after a little while, when the music starts, when Sam and the music group return to the stage when the music starts, um, uh, please do stand to sing.